Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi. So before we get into this episode, we wanted to thank you for listening and let you know a couple of things you can do to support the show and make sure we can keep bringing it to you every single week. First, and frankly, most fun things first, our Secret Menu membership program, which is a once-weekly members-only newsletter that costs four bucks a month, which comes out to, you know, a dollar a week. If you enjoy our free Monday newsletter, chances are you'll probably like this one too. It's got shopping picks, gift guides, recipes, rundowns of our favorite things in various categories like what are the cute toilet brushes? A question I know you have been asking. And it even has an advicey column where we answer audience questions. Sign up for it at a thing or two hq.com and you'll even get access to all the back issues you missed while you were sleeping on it. And here's something else you can do to help us out that doesn't cost a dime. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You may have noticed that discovery is still stupidly hard when it comes to podcasts and subscriptions and reviews make a big difference in helping us get on the radar of other new listeners. All right, so you want a third thing? Support our advertisers. Use these codes that they give us when you shop with them. We only work with brands we believe in and we hope you love them as much as we do. We're ridiculously grateful to you for listening and for showing us your support in whatever way you do. Thank you. And now on to the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. And because we figured some stuff out because we're tech geniuses, you can now gift Secret Menu, which is huge and a perfect last-minute holiday gift. Six or 12 months, easy peasy, super fun. You don't have to rely on anybody shipping stuff. Um, we'll just email it right to your giftee. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And as a reminder, we offer free ad reads to Black-owned businesses. So hit us up at podcast at a thing or two HQ.com to take advantage. Hi. Hi. How are you feeling? Um, pretty good. Um, I'm in a weirdly sunny mood, you know? Who knows, Claire? Who knows? Me too. I was just telling you, I got a full night's sleep last night. Um, that's a huge win. A tremendous victory. Care of one Tylenol PM. I figured out that's my magic formula. If I have two, I'm groggy all day the next day. But one, I can kind of swing it. One and like if I sweat it out in the morning, then I'm okay for the day. I also, I don't know why I, I like 
maybe I just did have like a chill night last night. Like, what am I doing? Like there are other <laughs> nights that aren't chill, but I like did a face mask oh, and like, yeah. Um, yeah. Feel, you know, feel better. Um, so that's something. Yeah. We're all prepared, prepared for our day, prepared for that's this right. podcast. Um, one of the things that I was interested in talking about, inspired in part by our recent uh, podcast episode with Jenna Wortham and Kimberly Drew is grown-up books that are good for kids. That Love are like this. books that are good to have around the house when you have kids. Because like just like the kids like will, will sort of flip through or have access to. Um, yeah. Books that kids are well nosy about. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I have to say that like the first one, there are a couple that come to mind for me, but the most obvious one for me is that my mom had an original like 60s or 70s era copy of Our Bodies Ourselves on her bookshelf. And I definitely stole that thing and hid it under my bed. And it was very, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. With you. <laughs> totally. And learned everything I needed to know about sex from it. What'd and you also, learn? <laughs> I just... You know, it's a great... I feel like I definitely learned about anatomy. I think the biggest takeaway for me, honestly, was that sex was okay and something yeah. to be celebrated. And it wasn't until sort of putting together the notes for this that I realized like it wasn't just me being like, oh, okay, sex, horniness, it's all like positive. It's not yeah. shameful. But it was, it was like, oh, that did sort of shape a bit of a sensibility for me that it's like okay to talk about and that it's not embarrassing. Because... I don't know who else would have given me that impression other than eventually many years later, Samantha on Sex in the City. Totally. No, the teen magazines certainly weren't giving that right. impression. That, that was all definitely hugely embarrassing, including just like the idea of getting your period. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I was, so I, I credit that book with like being something that was healthy to have around the house. And then there was this other book, Life 100 Photographs That Changed the World. And it was just this picture book from Life Magazine with all of these iconic images from, you know, over many decades. And I used to just stare at it endlessly. And I feel like it just gave me a real curiosity and to some extent an education about like American and global history. And definitely was obsessed with all the fashion pages. I remember there was a whole spread on miniskirts and like the miniskirt mm. revolution. And it's like just, 60s London yes, situation. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, these are not books that were meant for me. They weren't like kids books, but they definitely left an impression on me. And I want to have those same types of experiences for Cam. I love that. I I was thinking about this and I just feel like I just didn't grow up with as many books in my house in that way. But the things that did that did impact me were my dad's subscription to Esquire magazine. Oh, totally. Which like mm -hmm. I definitely consumed more ravenously than he did. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it definitely just shaped my interest in magazines in general and in men's magazines and all of that. And then we had cookbooks. We had a lot of cookbooks. And I was trying to think of like what would have... I mean, I think I had a natural inclination, obviously, toward looking at cookbooks and, and cooking in general. But the fact that we kept them in our living room, I think makes a difference mm -hmm. um, because they weren't like on some shelf in the kitchen where you felt like they were just this utility thing. Right. They were like in the room where you were meant to... They're like, food is life, which is food is culture perspective yeah. that my household had. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the one I remember reading like reading the recipes top to bottom for sure, but then also flipping through the pictures because there was a section in the middle of very beautiful photography was the cake Bible, mm. um, which is a like just really iconic and, and wonderful cookbook. I do think you're so right. Like 
treating cookbooks in a way that feels like important and that's like it's not just utilitarian and there's something to be taken from here beyond just how to make a recipe. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so important. I love that. Thank you so much to Hilma for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, so Claire, I don't think I told you, but I woke up the other morning with a headache. That's um, the worst. Which is just like, you're you're already like, wait, what's my day? I'm, like, I'm, I'm getting tired. out of bed now. <laughs> like, what's happening? I still can't really leave my house. And then you starting the day from a place with a headache. A place of pain. It's the a place of pain. Worst. And you're like, what could I possibly done for the last eight hours <laughs> to have achieved this? Which right. for me probably means like grinding my teeth and like not mm-hmm. wearing the night guard that I got. Etc. But I have been really thrilled to discover that there's a new female-founded brand called Hilma that makes natural products that work in the moment for those everyday aches and pains, which for me is a tension headache. And they have this amazing tension headache relief that I have been taking and have become like a little bit reliant on. I know. I, I feel like say. I've been hearing about it a lot. You have a Hilma dependency. Well, a depend- <laughs> I definitely don't want to say dependency, <laughs> but I, it's nice to know that I have something that yes. I can take that I feel good about. Yes. The products are formulated by traditionally trained doctors and holistic practitioners. You get the best of both worlds. Hilma has taken the unique step as a natural remedy brand of running clinical studies on their products, and the results are really impressive. For example, 94% of participants saw a decrease in feelings of upset stomachs after only 30 minutes of taking their upset stomach relief. They take ingredient transparency seriously and use the highest quality non-toxic natural ingredients, which you can read all about on their website and learn about what they each do to help your body. You can also learn what ingredients are not in homeless products, which is a huge win. No fillers, no added sugars, no dyes. Because why do we need dyes and these, these things? Finally, they're founded by three women, which you know we are very, very into. And they have received recognition from Forbes, Vogue, Birdie, and others and are trusted by doctors. And as you can tell, approved by us. And right now, if you go to Hilma.co slash a thing or two and get the Hilma starter set, you can get both a free gift with purchase, a beautiful tote bag designed by an amazing female artist and 20% off. So you're going to use this code, a thing or two. So A-T-H-I-N-G-O-R-T-W-O, all spelled out for 20% off. That's 20% off and a free gift with purchase with the starter trio. It makes a really nice holiday gift, but you really need to order now to get it in time. Spelled H-I-L-M-A dot co slash a thing or two. It's time to give your medicine cabinet an upgrade with Helma. Hi, I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra. My passion, calling, and job is really all about blending together holistic practices with real evidence-based science to help people around the world cultivate more optimism, success, and resiliency. You won't want to miss this new podcast as you'll get to hear from elite athletes, recording artists, couples, and maybe even my toddler. So if you're into arming yourself with some new practical happiness tools, join me on Mondays for your morning optimism dose. Oh, and don't forget, things are looking up. What are the books you want Cam to grow up with? All right. So obviously Black Futures, as we discussed yeah. and, and what inspired this, I love the idea of him being able to flip through that. And it it does feel like to me sort of in a lot of ways, the ideal version of something like this, because there's tons yes. of pictures and there's things he can take away at different ages. And there are things he won't understand at certain ages that he might understand as a teenager. Absolutely. The other one I love that's like, I should shove it in his hands right now is Every Person in New York by the late Jason Poland, which is uh, line drawings of hundreds, thousands, I can't remember how many. Thousands, thousands of people in New York. The thing that 
I love about it beyond it just being so wonderful is, you know, and, and full of personality and, and interest is that it's a version of art that doesn't look like what I think children expect fine art to look like, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, he's obviously a very sophisticated artist, but there's like a childlike nature to some of his drawings. And I love the idea of Cam growing up with different versions of what good art is. Um, and this feels like something that's very accessible. Another one, which I talked about in the newsletter somewhat recently is the Macmillan Visual Dictionary, which was a very big presence in my and my brother's life. My brother got it for his birthday one year and I used to steal it off his shelf all the time. And it's literally just illustrations, like technical illustrations of every object you could think of from like cars to plants to kitchen utensils to tools. And it tells you what they are and it tells you what it labels like the different parts of things. It's amazing. It's so cool. And I don't think that they print it anymore. And it's, it's not, Why necess- not? I don't know. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It's such a cool book and it feels so iconic to me. And I, I don't know if it's intended for children or grownups. I don't think it's intended for either sort of in the way that like a dictionary is not intended for either. Right, right, um, right. But it's such a cool book. Kind of related to that, something that I'm like, this isn't really for any particular age is an atlas um, yes, which totally. Thomas's family always has like atlases handy and they're definitely pulled out <laughs> for reference all the time in a way that is very okay. charming. The Times Comprehensive Atlas of the World is especially beautiful. It has a very pretty cover and the first version came out in 1885, which is, you know, a long ass time ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> Truly. It's quite impressive. And then there's this other book I stumbled upon called Map Exploring the World, which has 300 different maps from all different periods and just like sort of telling you more about like maps in Mm. general and like consuming those as an experience, which is smart. I mean, I feel maybe part of my feelings around this is that I just, my understanding of geography is very poor. Mm -hmm. um, And I do think part of it is just having only consumed this in like grade school, right? Education um, was probably not the, the best way for me to get a real sense of the world. The other map-related thing, we recently got a book called The Man Behind the Maps, which features 200 uh, maps of ski resort trails that are... And like all the ski resort trails have been hand-painted. These maps have been hand-painted by this guy, James Newhouse, who did it over his 30-year career. Like anything that you think of is like, that's an iconic ski map. This guy did. He like created the style. Um, I've never once thought to myself, that's an iconic ski map. (laughs) Well, now whenever you see one, like you'll Mm -hmm. be like, right, that's like, that's how the shadows go. That's like where the lines go, of course, because you Mm -hmm. don't even think about there being like a distinction. It's just like, is what it is. Um, But this is the person who originated that aesthetic. Um, It's just like a big, heavy book that I imagine would even be fun to just like play Legos on or something, you know? (laughs) Yep. Yep. The other one, which I feel like you have gifted to some young people is In the Company of Women, which we were featured in along with tons of other really like inspiring creative women. It's by Grace Bonnie and it's interviews and photographs, portraits with creative women about like what inspires them, what their processes are. And it is such a great book, not just because we are in it. Um, I would argue that we are one of the less inspiring or accomplished. I would, uh, I tend to agree. Of it. <laughs> um, but it, I, I think you gave it to like a teen in your life or something. And I was like, that's so smart. This book is so easy to consume. It's, it's interviews. It's literally like people, it's, it's, people speaking about themselves in a way that feels very um, accessible and inspiring. And and especially for young women, I think to see sort of how people got to where they're going is really cool. I also recently gave it to an 11-year-old niece. And I think 
it's in that scenario, it was also this idea of like her exposure is like so narrow at this mm. point. And, you know, she like lives in Atla- the Atlanta suburbs. And I think that um, it, for me, it feels like a nice way to be like, look at all of these like different things, people, like ways you could go in a way Absolutely. that like, she's just not, you know, how would she be exposed to? She's 11, of course, but like the earlier, the better. Gosh, you're so right. It, that just made me think too of in the vein of like you were talking about magazines that the gentlewoman does such a good job of that. And hundred percent. Interviews like women a food who, historian. Yes, or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the daughter of a, fam- a famous baker's who's like taken over their bakery and really does expose these like jobs and experiences and um, lifestyles and cultures that aren't necessarily covered at other places if you are growing up in a place that is like not where we grew up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. What else? What else? Oh, okay. This one, like, again, it's really for kids and adults. It's not necessarily a grown-up book, but DCT by Molly Young and Joanna Aviles, who we've had on the podcast. There's no technical term for what this is, right? It's like visual puzzles. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, and like a little, like wordplay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that's like a little complicated and sophisticated with really beautiful artwork and they're, they're fun. And I feel like that's a really great one. Okay, last one, Do It Yourself by Thomas Barnthaler is a book of DIY projects, but they're all really like fancy and sophisticated with really interesting accomplished artists. And so it feels like a slightly more elevated version of a craft book book for kids where you're like, oh, I could make this really amazing chair. And I do think for kids who have an interest in creating stuff and being crafty, it sort of opens up the idea of like, you can go beyond FEMO, you know? Like yeah, you could, yeah, like, yeah. What are, what are the actual possibilities for where you could go with this? Right. To be able to jump from the idea of like molding something in yes. like Play-Doh or whatever to like making a, a object that someone could sit in is exactly. like, that's a good that's a good leap for a kid to exactly. make. Yeah. yeah. The other thing we wanted to discuss on this episode is the book Reckless by Selena Montgomery, aka Stacey Abrams. It is one of eight romance novels this American hero has written. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and- Do you think that when she decided to use a nom de plume that she knew then that she would always be very open about the fact that it was her? Or do you I- think at some point she was like, I want to keep it an actual secret? I don't think I, that's a good question. I do think that she, I think maybe she's a person who just liked the idea of getting to make up a name. Um, <laughs> and that, that was kind of like part of the fun of it. Yeah. She, it doesn't feel like she like is trying to keep it a secret at no. all. And yeah, exactly. Like she's not yeah. embarrassed and she shouldn't be embarrassed. No. Um, and I don't think she's ever even attempted to hide it. Um, yeah. based on the like historical data that we have on <laughs> on this. She wrote her first romance novel the same time she wrote her master's thesis. Like incredible. <laughs> side by side. It's remarkable. And you can imagine the scenario where you're working on your master's thesis and it's so stressful and it's so intense and mm-hmm. it's a really specific kind of writing and you need a release. So like <laughs> on so the you're side, writing you're writing a romance novel. And what was I the topic of it. her master's thesis? Oh, the topic of her master's thesis was devolution's discord, resolving operational dissonance from the UBIT exemption. So again, <laughs> seems a little intense. And her first novel was called Rules of Engagement, which mm. also could have maybe been the title of her master's thesis. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> this was while she was at getting her law degree at Yale. Oh, yes, her law degree. Yeah. Excuse me. Yes. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's outstanding. It's hard to... Listen, I'm not a political historian or biographer, but it's no, hard you're for not. me to... <laughs> it's, 
it's hard for me to conjure a more colorful detail about a, a politician. It's so no, good. you can't make this shit up. It's wonderful. So we chose to read the book Reckless, partially because it had a lot of very good reviews. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, why wouldn't you choose it for that reason? So I wrote a quick plot summary, which is mm-hmm. this. Kel, a hotshot Atlanta defense attorney with a checkered past, returns to her hometown in rural Georgia to help Eliza, the kindly woman who runs the very nice sounding orphanage where she grew up, who might be the suspect in the stabbing murder of a local baddie. This was my favorite part of the the plot summary that you wrote, a local baddie. I didn't think we needed his name. He's (laughs) not really that important. Um, And that's, you know, that's his, that's the gist of him. Yeah. Kel immediately has a run-in with the county sheriff, Luke, who's investigating the case, dot, 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 and is soon investigating his feelings for her. Also, they are both very hot. All true. All true. Can, so one, one question right off the bat that your plot summary raises, you said who might be, okay, so the, the woman who runs the orphanage might be the suspect in a stabbing mur- murder of a local baddie. Were there any points in reading this book where you thought Eliza, the woman who runs the orphanage, might have in fact done the murder? No, ma'am. How about okay. you? There were brief like milliseconds where I was like, oh, is that where this is going? But in general, something I will say about this book and about Selena Montgomery's writing style is that... <laughs> So it will not surprise you that I am that person who, when you're watching a movie, will ask like 20 questions, even though everybody in the room is seeing the movie for the first time. And no one has more context. (laughs) No one has more context. Yeah. And that happened for me a lot during this book (laughs) because so many chapters just jump in in the middle of a story and it's like gonna, and it's, you're sort of like starting really zoomed in and then you move out, right? Right. You're given more information as the like chapter progresses. Exactly. You did ask me kind of a lot, like if I had started it yet in a way that is like (laughs) a little atypical. Um, and it's becoming clear kind of as to why. There were so many moments where I was just like, wait, what's going on? Did I miss something? And I was like, no, I know that the whole point is that this is being revealed slowly, but this feels like watching a movie and being like, wait, did I miss something? What's going on? Who's that? Right. Uh, There was a lot of that for me. So it follows then that there were moments where I was like, wait, am I supposed to think that actually Eliza did do the murder? No, Eliza was way too perfect. There's no... (laughs) And like that facade was not meant to be broken. You know, like we, we were meant to just believe this woman is magic and that is that. Thanks so much to Wondery's Even the Rich for sponsoring today's episode. For more than a decade, Britney Spears has been trapped in a conservatorship that gives her father incredible power over every aspect of her life. It's hard not to wonder, how did she go from pop princess to prisoner? This season of Wondery's Even the Rich is looking for answers and chronicling the life of Britney Spears, starting with Britney as a young girl. Britney wanted to sing and dance her way out of Louisiana, but she had no idea that she would later become one of the most famous pop icons of the 21st century. But the more famous she got, the more harmful the press became until finally it was all too much for her to handle. A very public breakdown led to a family intervention and a conservatorship. It was supposed to be temporary, but Britney is still at the mercy of her father's control today. Her fans formed a movement, hashtag free Britney, dedicated to freeing Britney from the conservatorship. There's a lot more to it than that. This is a story that Claire and I have been following pretty closely um, with, you know, stuff that's been written about on the internet and all of that. And it's like very hot topic in our group texts. Well, because <laughs> it feels like, like what, like the intersection, like for people who really love celebrity gossip, but also are like a little bit nerdy, it feels super interesting because it is this intersection of celebrity gossip, like media criticism, 
gender theory and mental legal health, stuff. Mental legal health. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very like very interesting, very rich. Yeah. I'm I this is why we're so excited about Even the Rich taking on this topic. So if you don't know Even the Rich, it is hosted by two female comedians and they tell stories of some of the greatest family dynasties in history. We are talking the Kennedys, like deep dives into JFK Jr. and Carolyn Bassett, which who is not tuning in for that? The House of Versace, the Gettys, Jay Z and Beyonce—the kind of dynasties that we are interested in. That's basically, right. <laughs> basically. Um, listen to the latest season of Even the Rich, Free Britney, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Part of the challenge too with me having all of these unanswered questions and looking for all of the nuances that this book is pretty straightforward. It ends with a happily ever after and it is set up in in the way that like a lot of romance novels do to be like, that is my promise to you. I will like give you the thing you have come here to get, (laughs) which is that these two people end up together. You will not be left hanging, nothing. There will be a moment or two moments where where they have like a rough patch you won't buy for a second that this is like a rough patch that is ending this like relationship, yeah. whatever. Um, and you will walk away feeling like you, you've you like been sated. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and it was very satisfying in that sense. For sure. We do both have some issues with Luke, who is the county sheriff. Um, and right off right the bat. Of, yeah. He's, the fact he's, that he's a county sheriff in general <laughs> being one of them. Should we start with the the less complicated issues? Yeah, let's. So one issue that I had very early on, so what, their first scene when they meet, he pulls her over for like speeding, traffic violation, parking in front of a hydrant. And during this interaction, she's very petulant in a way that like, I was like, no, ma'am, just get out of the car. <laughs> but he touches her multiple times and it made me deeply uncomfortable. I mean, I think that this is going to be a recurring theme throughout this book. Was When was this book published? Do, do, did we make note of that? Um, 2008. 2008, Okay. It's not so really, long ago. No, but it's really something to read it through a 2020 lens when we think I, a lot true. about uninvited touch. Uninvited touch, the role that law enforcement should or should not play in various scenarios and how in our they, lives, including yeah, our love lives. Et exactly. All of that. So it's it, there are things there are things that become challenging related to the uninvited touching. We are meant to, you know, assume that Luke is just like so hot that everybody from young girls to old women are all attracted to him. And there's a moment in the orphanage where one of the like young teens- 14-year-olds. 14-year-olds, yeah. Are all like swooning over Luke and he plays into it and like flirts with them. And he's like, you look beautiful today. And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And that's meant to be like a charming characteristic of his that he like (laughs) knows how to like make 14-year-old girls feel good about themselves in a way that's not creepy. And I was like, I think that any adult (laughs) man even like vaguely processing, whatever, okay. Mm-hmm. It's totally I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't yeah. like it. No. no, it does feel like, obviously we knew it was inappropriate in 2008, but I think in mainstream entertainment, it was still acceptable in 2008 to have these sorts of things. You're right. You're, um, right. You're right. The other issues that I have are just how, like, I couldn't, I had trouble getting excited about Luke. There were a couple of things. The first one for me being that he takes her on a first date to the nicest restaurant in town. But here's the thing. They live in rural Georgia or that this takes place in rural Georgia. Like you're really meant to believe it's like a, sort of got like a main street strip and that's yeah, it. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. this isn't really a town. But if they go to a nice French restaurant and Luke wears a full on suit. It it would d- be that does feel so embarrassing. embarrassing. 
I would be it does so embarrassing. embarrassed. But I will say that Kel was probably wearing like a five inch stilettos too, based on our understanding of her. But that's also her thing. Like she's the big city gal, high powered yeah. lawyer who breezes into town, who yeah. definitely like only feels comfortable in a five inch stiletto and feels less comfortable in her flat sneakers. What's our TV show that the Heart of Dixie? Of, Heart of Dixie. She's Heart, it's totally Heart of Dixie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, um, who's always and, and Ra- where Rachel Bilson is always wearing silk pleated shorts in that's right. In the middle of this, in the middle like, of the town square. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I'm really glad that we both got stopped in our tracks when he took her home and made dinner for her. Um, there were a couple things that happened. He makes her pasta pom- pomodoro and there's a scene where he's like boiling water and then he adds spices. <laughs> like to, I, And like I read it two or three times to be like, no, he definitely added spices to the sauce. No, as far as I can tell, he added spices to the pasta water and I was extremely upset about it. Well, this is also a moment where he's supposed to be painted as sort of the the skillful one in the kitchen. Like Kel yeah. is is too busy. She can and open a bottle of wine. That's yeah, about it. That's yeah. it. And but that's okay because in this relationship, he's going to be the chef. He's going to make the fancy meals. And he like slams a bottle of bottled salad dressing on the table at some point. And I'm just like, no, that's not how. Not there's nothing wrong inherently with bottled salad dressing, but there is if you're but trying to paint a character. It's not a chef move. It's no, not a chefy it's not. move. No, it's absolutely yeah. not. I will say like. Most other things about Luke I found appealing. Like I liked it totally. he was super tough, but in touch with his emotions and like very comfortable with the fact that he was super smitten with her. He wasn't a jerk at all. He was a nice guy. There were at just, no point did he like try to play it cool. Right. Like not exactly. for a moment was he like, I'm gonna like give her space and like see what happens. <laughs> no, that's why there was so much uninvited touching. That's right. No, he was super into her, super straightforward about it. He wasn't playing games. No. Um, he's a good guy. He's easy to like. Can Except, we talk about the cop thing? Yeah, this was the challenge. It's really, it's just very hard to read anything that is like, this man is like wonderful and also a cop in 2020 um, yeah. and not just be like, ooh, tough move. This is a book written by a person who has fought so much for the rights of Black people in America, right? And done just an extraordinary amount for for that community of people. And she wrote a book glorifying a cop where the cop is the the love interest. He's the hero. He's the main character, right? Yeah. And certainly it was a different time. Like in 2020, you know, this is much more front of mind. But in 2008, Black people were still disproportionately getting murdered by police. Yes. Um, So... In that way, you're like, what? This is so confusing. This feels weird. And it doesn't, like, how was she thinking about this at all? Or had she not started thinking about it yet? There's a line in it that really, like, stopped me in my tracks. It said, a man like Luke didn't become a cop. He'd always been one, would always be. Standing for others, making their world safe, whether he knew their names or not. And I was like, okay, she just wasn't thinking about it at all. Like, this was not something that, which is fine because it was... 2008, she was at a different place in her career. It obviously immediately brought to mind one of these like internet sort of memes that was circulating. Like against Blue Lives Matter ideology. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it's 
technically accurate to call it a meme. It was an internet graphic that was, or, or like a quote that was surfacing a lot that said, nobody is born a cop. Being a cop is not an inherent identity. It's a career one chooses. It is not a race. A black person does not steam, stop being black when their shift is over, which like kind of stems from this, like one is not born a woman. When, like it, it yeah. it's, that carries that same philosophical theme. I do think in in giving this a 2020 edit, she would she would strike those lines. I'm, I'm telling myself. I think so too. I mean, the other thing I guess we also didn't say from the get-go is that both of the main characters are black. Yes. Um, yes. And that- And, and the not main like, characters and I think all of Stacey's books are black. Yeah. And that definitely like is taken into account in terms of their identity. It's not just like a feature. Like there, no. it, there are conversations about race in the book for sure. And there is interesting and maybe like the most depth in fact of any character comes when she describes Kel's perception of the role of law enforcement. Yeah. Right? Like, they, she does, like, actually bring up really interesting points about, like, Kel's take on, like, what law should do and what the role of a lawyer is and what the role of a police officer is and prosecutors and all of that. And Kel and Luke have conversations about those things between the two of them because they do think that they have different ideas around, like, law and justice and, like, what what all of that means, which is, you know, an interesting thing to come up in this book. It was uh, super interesting and certainly, like, the moment where you're like, oh, this is written by Stacey Abrams, not just a random uh, romance yes. author because it was really nuanced and complex and interesting. Can we go just, can we move on to something that was not nuanced and complex? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a line where it, it, they, the, there's a line that reads, uh-huh. he flipped the second chair around to straddle the seat. I just, like, I slammed the book down. I couldn't, <laughs> I was so upset. First of all, well, the, the funny thing was that this happened in another book we read for this podcast in the miseducation of Cameron Post. There's a youth pastor who does the same thing, like flips a chair around to straddle the seat, which I really took note of at the time of reading because that book took place in the 90s and it was a youth pastor. And, and it was like, like meant to be this cheesy, <laughs> like faux cool guy. I'm just one of the kids moves. I was like, nailed it. That person would exactly straddle a chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, I was so upset about. Why is Luke straddling the chair? It's not 1990. He's not a youth pastor. He's and not- And he's not in Saved by the Bell. That's right. You know? Yes. I watched the trailer to the to the Saved by the Bell revival, which I have mm-hmm. to say it looks quite good. I'm, um, I, you know what? I tried to watch it the other night. Did you? I, you have to download Peacock and then oh, sign up Lord. for a free trial to Peacock. And I was like, this is so much more work. If I had enough energy to be doing that, I wouldn't be trying to watch the Saved by the Bell revival. Do you know? Like, I just, they, when I'm, absolutely that's not what I'm ready for. No, I absolutely know. Well, I will say there's a scene in the trailer for this show yeah. where the adult AC Slater, who is like the gym, mm. the like phys, head of fit at, yeah. phys ed or gym teacher, whatever he is, flips a chair around and one of the kids looks at him and is like, what the fuck are you doing? Why um, did anybody ever do that? Was so that dirty. actually a more comfortable way to sit? No, I think it was like a chill way to sit. Right, which also- Like, like, like wearing a backpack strap on one like one <laughs> strap. No, that's not the right way. It's definitely worse, but it's cooler. Has there in any other decade ever been a quote unquote cool way to sit? Or was that like- the mm. only time there was ever a cool way to sit. I think maybe in the 60s, putting like your feet on your desk in like an office chair mm, could be totally. the cool way to sit. Like a madman, totally. like look at me just like owning the space. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And like maybe man spreading is the 2000s straddling a chair. I, it's definitely a straddle. <laughs> it's just such a specific and odd thing that 
we fully accepted at one point in time and, and I'm no longer anymore. willing to accept. <laughs> <laughs> out of our male leads, out of anyone. <laughs> so insane. And it was like in an interrogation room at a, at the police station. There was just like no excuse for it whatsoever. <laughs> totally. At all. Totally. A hundred percent. Okay. So we mentioned that there is a stabbing murder that takes place in the book. Mm-hmm. And it basically, the autopsy reveals that the knife that was used was a ceramic kitchen knife. Yes. Um, a, like a fancy chefy ceramic kitchen knife. And I do feel like we have to give Selena Montgomery credit. In 2008, ceramic kitchen knives were not the, like, were not as big of a thing as they are now. No, it's very true. Um, And I did actually, like, one of my real takeaways from this book was an increased interest in ceramic kitchen knives, which is probably an unlikely outcome. You want to know something really funny? I own one. Okay. And the reason why I only own one and never bought another is because the tip broke off. Well, just that, like it does in the book, Claire. That's exactly that's exactly the issue with ceramic kitchen yeah. knives. We've learned they're like actually ceramic. It turns out, yeah. This is the problem when they meet something hard. The tips yeah. break. They don't. What did we learn from the book? That like they keep their edge longer. Mm-hmm. They, they stay sharper longer, but that the tips can break. Yeah. Um, which was just an education. I was like, huh? Like, <laughs> what would I use a Kiyosara knife for? Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> there was a moment in the book where one of the like potential suspects, another local baddie, if you will, um, is giving a statement. And he says that he, he places Eliza at the scene of the crime and says, you know, she was holding the knife. I saw the shiny thing. I saw something shiny in her hand. And so it had to have been the knife. And over here, having owned a ceramic knife, I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) ceramic knives aren't shiny. This is the dead giveaway. Case closed. Someone's going to point this out and be like, obviously he was lying. But somehow it takes like many more pages and some other proof that he was lying. And no one ever points out that that was the dead giveaway. Of course, she definitely, he was lying. Ceramic knives aren't shiny. I did have this this thought that like this, like something to do with the ceramic knife was going to be the thing that was like, the reveal in the mm-hmm. trial, um, like a la the My Cousin Vinny moment where Marissa Tomei testifies about the skid marks. 1,000%. Um, and that's what yeah. it should have been. And th- that's exa- I didn't identify that perfectly accurate uh, <laughs> analogy. Yes, it is the Marissa Tomei, My Cousin Vinny moment. That's what it should have been. But that's what I thought was going to happen when he was like the shiny knife. It was like, what's happening? And then no one ever calls it out. I was really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry. The, yeah. Like everybody... Everybody gets what they deserve in this That's book. right. Yeah. It does leave us hanging at the end. It does leave us hanging at the end. It sets us up for a sequel. And there is a sequel. It is called Deception, which is about Cal's friend, Finn. Um, and we are promised in the like notes about this that she will also find her soulmate, which again, like, here is what I will give you in this book. Like, it's so nice, who appears to be an FBI agent working undercover as the state prosecutor, Caleb Matthews, who's a bit character in this book, who I really liked and you're meant to like. Nothing not to like. Nothing not to like. But I will say it doesn't give you the impression that it's going to answer any of the questions that are raised at the end of the book. Like, basically, the book ends with a love story, but also the specter of a whole, an even deeper conspiracy than we ever thought existed. I do believe that the second book is going to answer some of those questions, but probably not all, because there was also meant to be a third book told from the perspective of the third friend, Julia. Mm -hmm. But the third book was not written. 
because someone went on to have a really important political career that is still going on. I and, have and, to say, and activist career. Yes. I am so comforted by the fact that Stacy did not make it around to this third book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, that, like, because there is just a certain amount of shame you have to feel about this person's productivity that like Absolutely. she's written all of these books. Mm-hmm. She's like done all of these things. She, she's she saved, America saved America this year. Yes. Like she a saved lot America. happening. I'm comforted by the fact that she actually had to set this trilogy aside. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. I won't be upset with her if she decides to finish it at some point. She deserves a break. Totally. Um, then maybe if she wanted to come back to it in a few years, yeah. like on vacation, like go to Bermuda for a few weeks, write this book. That would be nice for us. That would be nice for her and for us. We all deserve it. <laughs> we all deserve, we all deserve it. it. Yeah. And I am curious, you know, what her her new take on law enforcement would be. Yes. <laughs> How she would wrap that up. Um, should we cast this book? Yes, please. Okay. Kel. Kel. What do we um, think? Top of mind for me because, yeah. in fact, when I was thwarted from watching Saved by the Bell preview, I instead watched Merry Little Christmas Wedding starring Kelly Rowland. Mm. It was really bad. It's a sequel to what I assume is also a really bad Christmas movie. But I was like, I could totally see Kelly Rowland in this role. I think she's perfect for it. Yeah. Absolutely. She was great in Merry Little Christmas Wedding. Just the movie itself was not. She, didn't, she wasn't given the best material to work with. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, the other one that just feels so obvious, like it's crazy that we didn't even lead with her, is Carrie Washington. I mean, it's this, this character is like so Olivia Pope adjacent. It's oh, like, it's, it's too much. I'm specifically interested in mm-hmm. a Carrie Washington Idris Alba pairing. I think that's perfect, honestly. My, my struggle in casting all of this was that everybody that I liked felt too old for the roles. Because how old do you think they're supposed to be? Like, late they're 20s? in their 30s. Okay, yeah. they're in their yeah. 30s. So, they, these, so though, like Carrie Washington and Idris Elba are definitely too old for yeah. mid, like late 30s, but yeah. I still think they'd be wonderful. Someone that is not too old mm-hmm. for this is Tessa Thompson. Totally. And I'm incredibly interested in a Tessa Thompson, Michael B. Jordan, like reunion a la Creed. Have you seen Creed? No, I haven't seen Creed. I think you should. Okay. Because um, it's Rocky, right? Yeah, but it's Michael B. Jordan. No, I and, love Michael B. Jordan. And, and Tessa I think, Thompson. It's, and I love her. It's wonderful. Thomas even liked it, and he does not like like any fighting anything or yeah. any violent anything. Michael I think B. it will sell you on this casting. This. Yes. I, I'm sold already. I really like Michael B. Jordan. I think he would be wonderful for it. I mean, Idris Elba feels so obvious. He, yeah. He's a very, very good fit for it. But I do think a more age-appropriate one would be Michael B. Jordan. Um, another age-appropriate one that could be great is Kiki Palmer. It's like a little yeah. bit of a... It's not as obvious because she has the comedy bent and I don't know that Kel has a sense of humor, but I think Kiki Palmer has the edge that that Kel definitely has. Yes, yes, yes. Gabrielle Union, Fandy yep. Newton. We had a lot of ideas yep. um, for this You also one. had a good one I liked, Yvonne Orji. Oh, yeah, Yvonne Orji, which... Partially, like, it's too on the nose because we've seen her as an incredibly, like, well-dressed, chic, big city lawyer yeah. in Insecure. So, like, we can know exactly what that looks like. Yes. Um, but I can see her, like, strolling into town being like, oh, no, I know what's happening here. Exactly. Like, you will not get in my way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think she'd be great. Um, who else for Luke that we haven't mentioned yet? The other person that felt too old but felt exactly right to me was Blair Underwood. I feel I like, liked that. I feel like every character he plays is this, like, dark, brooding, but like very open to finding love uh, guy, figure of authority. Totally. 
Sterling K. Brown also felt mm-hmm. like someone for me who might soften the like idea that this man's a cop a little yes. bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, where I could be like, oh, like he did it for the right reasons. Like <laughs> that, that, that kind of thing. I'd also just like to see Jesse Williams in more things. He's just so hot. I feel like we deserve that. (laughs) Yeah. We deserve some romance, some romance with Jesse Williams. And I think we've made it very clear that two of the defining characteristics of these protagonists are that they are very hot. So that that qualifies him for this role already. 1000%. Eliza, who is the woman who runs this like center for lovely children. Yeah. Who is she? She's, you know, obviously sort of a maternal figure, but She's got some depth to her. And we didn't get... I I was having trouble in general conjuring this character in part because the other main characters, you did get a lot of physical descriptions of Cal and Luke and you got none of Eliza. Like, I don't think we know what race she is, right? No, we think we know she had like gray hair. Right. Which which I, doesn't help, <laughs> which um, doesn't help. really create a picture yeah. of her. Viola Davis, was I, was that your... Did I come up with that? Did you come you up with that? Because it's that. a good one. It oh, is pat, a good one. Pat myself <laughs> on the back. Feels good. Congrats to you. Feels right. The other one that I liked was Frances McDormand. Yes, I felt like she could really play this. Because the thing about Eliza is that she starts out, you feel like she's sort of this like vulnerable, sweet old lady. And then as the book progresses, more is unrevealed about her that you're like, oh, she's not just like a a sweet doddering old lady. She's got some depth to her. Well, and you also get the sense that she's like tough, you know, like tough but fair in a way Mm -hmm. that Frances McDormand would like absolutely do. Sissy Spacek is someone else who I feel like would be like a lot like that. And then I recently watched the truly odd movie last Christmas Um, (laughs) and Emma Thompson is in it and you saw her as like sort of this older character in a way that it was like I mean who who would ever think that Emma Thompson would commit a crime Um, totally and I love Emma Thompson I'll watch her in anything she's great Um, well great we cast this we're ready to sell it Um, (laughs) one Sundance yeah (laughs) let's do it Um, okay a couple of things we need to get into at the end yes I like, one of the things I really liked is that this book came out in 2008, as we had mentioned, but you don't actually really get a sense of when it's set um, in a way that was nice because I've had a really hard time reading books that have been set right now or in the Mm. like very Mm -hmm. recent past, but it wasn't like, they weren't like looking at their phones all the time or like whatever. Like you, you could imagine her being the high powered lawyer who like had her car phone in the nineties and that would have been like a thing. I don't know. It's very true. And it's truly escapist in that sense also. Yes. I also would like to read the, about the author at the end of the book. Please you'll have it. Okay. I'll have it. Selena Montgomery grew up in Southern Mississippi with two incredible parents and five fascinating siblings. She's a graduate of Spelman College, the LBJ School of Public Affairs, and Yale Law School. She draws upon her interest in and experiences with social and economic policy, politics, and creative writing to fuel her novels. Selena is now a proud resident of Atlanta, where she is a lawyer by day and a writer during every waking hour. As her alter ego, Stacey Abrams, she is a state representative and the author of several pieces of tax policy and social justice issues. She is also an obsessive consumer of political biographies, every genre of fiction, good television, and film and movies, which are different. She is still mourning the passing of Buffy and the end of Star Trek The Next Generation franchise. Claire, the like Buffy and like all of (laughs) that, I was like, thank you for this. Just like, thank you for this. She's wonderful. She's, Um, it's just, 
yeah, just so lovable. Stacy, thank you for saving America. Thank you for all of your work and thank you for Reckless. Oh, thank you for Reckless. Um, yeah. If you want more on Stacy's romance novel writing and how it's been received and how she's meant, made to be shamed about it at certain points, it's all very fascinating. There's a really good Glamour article by a writer, Jenny Singer, and it includes the line, Selena Montgomery's protagonists are equally as horny for justice and truth as they are for creamy skin and flawless breasts. <laughs> Great. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com. <laughs> <laughs>